This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is a returning guest, a very good friend of mine. I won't beat around the bush. This is Pat Kelman, co-founder of 606 Distribution. Welcome to the show. Hi, Stuart. Oh, this is so cool. <laughs> We're going to talk about a new movie from 606 called Dalva in a moment. After that, we're going to give three films that have impacted everything in your adult life, and we'll look forward to those. There's a little bit of a fudge on the rules, but I like it. But yes, before we get into that, let's talk about the newest film that 606 are going to bring to UK and Ireland, which is called Dalva. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis as to what that's all about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the UK title is Love According to Dalva, but the actual French title was uh, was just Dalva. Okay. And, um yeah, it played at Le Semaine de la Critique last May in Cannes. Okay. Uh, and it won a couple of awards at Le Semaine de la Critique. I oh. mean, the big film, Le Semaine de la Critique, was After Sun. Um, Indeed it was. <laughs> and Dalva came second, basically, in terms of winning all the awards. Brilliant. Uh, I wish I had the the ability to release it to the same sort of level as After Sun, <laughs> truthfully. Um, yeah, it, it's... Um, as with most films at the Semendela Critique, it's a first-time feature director, Emmanuel Nico, and she had made shorts previously. Yeah. And um, she's a Belgian filmmaker, and it's about a 12-year-old girl who gets taken from her father, who'd been, look- who'd been looking after her, hmm. and put in- into care. And um, as the film goes on, we, we discover that, that actually he'd been you know, abusing her. Hmm. And in fact, what the film is really about is about this 12-year-old girl actually realizing that something bad had happened to her because her father had groomed her so thoroughly that she actually thought she was in a mature adult relationship with him. Oh, wow. And so the journey of the film is her actually, A, realizing what had happened to her Hmm. and B, starting to deal with it and starting to to kind of become a child again, mm. you know? And so it's an amazing piece of work. The, the young actress, um, Zelda Samson, it was her first film and she won the, um, discovery award at the, uh, at the Samendula critique. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. 
she was a discovery as a performer. Um, it then got the Fapresky Prize and a couple of others. And then it went on to various other festivals. It got the Audience Award at Rotterdam. Oh, fantastic. Um, oh, yeah. It's been, you know, really winning awards left, right and centre. And in fact, even something as simple as we played it the other night at the um, Independent Cinema Office screening days where they have a weekend at the BFI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they basically show films to exhibitors for the weekend and film societies and people like that. And of course, they all fill in feedback forms at the end or they give votes for scores. And Dalva came top out of all the, all the films that played that weekend and there were 25 of them. So, so is this, is, uh, um, is this film going to be another sort of another breakout movie for a young star like Helena Zengel was in, uh, in well, System Crusher? Hoping. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in fact, interestingly, David, um, the other half of 606, when we, when I saw it in Cannes, I just said to him, look, we've got to get this one. And he went, oh, is it, is it going to be a bit similar to System Crasher? And is it going to be a bit like, and I, d- I was just like, look, it's an important film about an important subject and it has an extraordinary performance. It's, it's very different in tone to System Crasher because if you remember, System Crasher was kind of a bit punk in its energy and a bit kind of yeah. angry. Yeah, she was a victim of the system, wasn't she? And, rather, and the fact that there wasn't, the support systems available, and so she's angry at the world. Whereas clearly, what you described with with Dalva is this is a very different, a different youth. Yeah. yeah, and 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 the thing that's great about Dalva is that it's really sensitively done, mm. and there's no, you know, there's nothing salacious in it. There's nothing. It doesn't go for like big, dramatic beats. Yeah. It's much more kind of real. It's a bit more kind of. I mean, somebody said Belgian social realism the other day, you know, that kind of Dardenne brothers. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the young actress is incredible in it. And as I say, she's been winning awards at festivals all over the place. So for those, um, for those, of, for those filmmakers tuning in, just to, just to let them see the Wizard of Oz behind the curtains. Now you yeah. talk about seeing the film in Cannes. So when an independent distributor like yourself wants to get a movie as it were or yeah. likes a movie they'd like to maybe distribute and you cover Ireland and, and the UK yeah what's is I mean is there is there a formula to it or is it is it is there is it all different ways of approach once you've kind of got your eyes set you've got your heart set on a film that you and David have agreed we'll go for this we'll go for that yeah. it's it's a tricky one because obviously there was there are a number of much bigger fish in the ocean of course yeah 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 <laughs> And so there's an element of me actually kind of having to wait a bit to see what happens when the feeding frenzy of Cannes kind of dies down. Yeah. Though I did actually make a very clear expression of interest to the sales agent. Mm. Uh, and it's a big sales agent, MK2, who are a really big company. They are, and they're yeah. very, you know, I always feel a little bit embarrassed sometimes when I go to big companies like that and go, well, actually, look this is how small I am. This is how little money I've got, but I really love the film. And what I can, what I can't necessarily offer in terms of advertising budget or whatever, I can certainly offer in terms of hard graft and enthusiasm and dedicated project. And, you know, very often that, 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 that actually kind of carries you a long way very often with these people. You know, it's like, you know, if, if it was a choice between me and another company, that had maybe a big, slightly bigger budget, but 
it was just another day's work to them. I like to think they 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 look favorably towards mm. me for that. And and so David and I met up with the MK2 people at Cannes and just said, look, we know where we are in the ecosystem. Yeah. However, we love this film. And whatever whatever we can do to convince you that we're the right people to release it, then just let us know what we have to do and we'll do it. Yeah. And the journey the journey and the journey for non-English language films to UK and Ireland theatrical releases is not the easiest for the filmmakers. So no, even though really you not. say they're a bigger fish in the sea, as it were, actually people who are keen to make that happen are valuable parts of the food chain, aren't you, really, in a way? Absolutely, I think so. And and, and luckily they they recognise that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when you've got bigger distribution companies like Mubi or Picture House or Curzon, you know, they've got a fairly limited number of slots mm. or only pick up a certain number of titles. Um, and so there's always going to be something really brilliant that's just been left by the wayside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just a case of of convincing the, the sales agents that actually it's worth spending a bit of time trusting me to have a go with it than just selling it to Netflix. Indeed. So how? So when and how can people see the film? Yeah, it's um, opening theatrically on Friday the 28th, I think it is, of April. Yeah. That last, that last Friday in April. Yeah. Um, we've got a... Q&A screening at the Sydney Lumiere in London, in South Kensington at the Institut Francais. A lovely, um, a lovely so, place to watch a film. I think we saw, did uh, we see a film there together that you had? Yeah, did we see The Shock of the Future We did see, did see that, yes. Yeah, and I love it there. And um, and they've been really supportive over the years of, yeah. of the efforts made to release films. And um, so the director's coming over for the day. Because it's basically opening all over Europe roughly at the same time excellent so, um so she's going to give us 24 hours so she's coming over on the on the actual day of release um so we're doing the institut francais at 20 past six on the friday of course it's also going to be playing places like the ica um the riverside in hammersmith um hopefully art house crouchen though they haven't committed yet um it's also going to be playing all around the country at like the usual kind of brilliant indies like Watershed, Home in Manchester, Showroom Sheffield, Glasgow Film Theatre, IFI in Dublin. Brilliant. You know, so it's playing Well, I'll put, I'll put links in the show notes to your website, I guess. That'll give everybody the details yeah. they need as to where it's playing locally to them. Absolutely. And um, and it's one of those films that's going to be, a, I think it's going to be quite a long tale. I think, have you spoken to my friend Johnny Tull at all on on the podcast at all well but he he was distributor of big and tall uh big and small the surfing movie okay and and it's that idea of you know we want to have a really good opening weekend and and make a splash at the start but what you'll often find is that if it's not in your local cinema immediately it will probably be there three or four weeks later maybe a couple of months later you know there's actually quite a long tail on art house films from the smaller distributors oh, so okay. it may not get the big blanket release on week one but it will stagger around the country over uh, stagger's not a good word but you know it will roll out over the country in various art house venues across the country over a period of time yeah, yeah. so again link will be in the show notes people can see the latest news as to when and how they can see it. And hopefully that'll mean when they see it, it'll be local to them. 
Yeah, and it will be on VOD in two or three months' time. Brilliant. Okay. Well, look, let us segue from there. Congratulations on the film, I should add. We are now going to leap into perhaps three films that have impacted everything in your adult life. Um, I'll just explain the rules to a, a listener that may not have heard the format before. Pat has given me three films, three films point five, um, and and uh, and for those three, we get five minutes chat per film. And when we hear this sound, you hear that? Okay, your end, Pat. Absolutely brilliant. When we hear that sound, that means five minutes are up, and we stop and we move on to the next film. It means that. For the time we've got talking about it, we spend equal amount of time on each one. Does that seem fair to you, Pat? That sounds brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to start at the top of your list where you um, from the list you gave me. So do you want to talk to us about why and how The Towering Inferno has had an impact on everything in your adult life? Tell us more. Yeah, well, it's interesting, having just spoken about Dalva, that a lot of the I think nearly every film that we're going to talk about in the next 15 minutes yeah, in like a 10-year period. Okay. And the 10-year period was from probably my age of about 11 to 19. Okay. 18-ish. Towering Inferno is one that I remember really clearly, A, because it's a brilliant film. And if you haven't seen it for a long time, it is utterly brilliant. It's, you know, it's a soap opera. It's a disaster movie. Mm. But an incredible cast. And it reminded me really clearly of my cinema-going habits as a kid. Okay. Because uh, when I was a kid, I would go to the cinema on my own very often. And I would I'd go and see like Saturday morning picture shows or whatever, the, the Children's Film Foundation and stuff. Mm-hmm. Show. But I also would go and see, you know, whatever the big film of the week was, if, if I could, mm-hmm. you know, so... And I remember what would happen very often is my mum would go to bingo yeah. in Red. It's the Regal Red Roof in, 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 in Cornwall, yeah. where I live now. And um, basically, my mum would go to bingo at, say, one o'clock in the afternoon. And she'd drop me off in the Regal. And then she'd pick me up again at 9.30 at night when the two sessions of bingo were over. Right. So basically, I would be sitting in the cinema between 1 p.m. and 9.30. So she'd come in halfway through the film or near the end of the film to take me out at the end. But of course, I'll have seen the film at least three times at that point. (laughs) (laughs) So I... um, (laughs) And it's really interesting because one thing I remember, many years ago, when when I first moved to London, somebody I went to university with was running a a film club in in London. She asked me to kind of program some films for her. So I programmed The Towering Inferno and gave an introduction, basically saying what I've just told you. Yeah. And um, I didn't realize it, but there was a, 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 a journalist writing an article for a magazine at, the, at that screening. And um, when, she, when I read the article, it was like, yes, Pat Kelman gave a really, really moving chat at the beginning about this really terrible story of childhood neglect and abandonment. And I'm like, my mum left me in the pictures while she went to bingo. <laughs> that, that was a great thing for me as a kid, you know. Um, yeah, so that's why that kind of stuck in my brain. It reminded me of that kind of 
that idea of me, how I've developed my cinema going habit, because I still actually prefer seeing films on my own. And so my whole way of watching movies kind of grew during that period. Yeah, because I, I, something I never, I never learned to do until I was in my 20s, because, and now I must admit, it's, it, is, it is actually a real pleasure when I hear people say, oh, I could never, I could never go to the cinema on my own. I'm like, why? You're just sitting in the dark. I mean, you don't, you're not talking. And in a way, yeah. it, there's, a, there's a wonderful feeling, isn't there, about sharing it with a room when it literally are all strangers. Because when, you, when you're with somebody else, you do glance to your side and share the little moment. Yeah. But whereas you keep watching the screen when you're on your own and feel the rest of the room. and Yeah. And I remember very clearly, you know, because in those days, the Regal in Red Roof was a single screen. Yeah. And it was like 900 seats to 1,000 seats maybe. And often it would be full. Wow. And, I mean, I know this isn't the Towering Inferno, but that idea of the collective experience, I do very clearly remember one Sunday night, one night special, That'll be the day in Stardust, Double Bill, David Essex, me being pretty much the only guy in the audience <laughs> at the time. And I was like 12 or 13, surrounded by crying women in their 20s. And I just was like totally overwhelmed. <laughs> but, um, so tell us, but, about, so yeah. what is it about Towering Inferno? What is it about that film in particular? What, what made you pick that of all I, the films? It's one memory that I have really clearly of, 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 of that experience experience and also it's just a really good film i mean i think you know it, ha it had two of the major film stars of the day um you know steve mcqueen and paul newman both of whom were like these amazing charismatic figures mm. and, it, and it was a disaster movie and and it was a movie and i i loved them i really loved them and what, was uh, it? what do you think was in the oh there's our timer I was just about to say, what do you think was in the water between 1974 and 1977 that meant anything that could blow up or set on fire or crash became became the subject of a movie, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it was Erwin Allen, the the producer. He basically, I think, I think because I think Airport was the first one. Yeah, and then um, obviously Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, and I think. When I think he as a producer then just went, I've cracked it. Get an all star cast, put him in a put him in peril, mm. you know, and and see how they cope. Moving on then to choice number okay. two. Um, a very different kind of movie, but we're still in the same yeah. decade. Um, I'm talking about Bob Foss's uh, All That Jazz. Yeah, yeah, and. I wanted to be, well, since I was about the age of 12, I wanted to be an actor or a performer. Right. Possibly a director. <clears throat> and, and also I wanted to be Roy Scheider, actually. That was the thing that, that hooked me into all that jazz. Mm. Because, because I didn't talk about Jaws for my disaster movie because that was too obvious and everybody talks about Jaws. Yeah. But I saw Jaws maybe... 20 or 30 times in that summer it came out. And I, and, I, and I've, I just, you know, Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfuss, they were the guys for me. And, and there was something about Roy Scheider, I just kind of followed him over the years as an actor. And when he did all that jazz, I partly went for him, though I did love Bob Fosse's work, having seen Cabaret and Lenny and films like that. 
But it was really, it was really um, Roy Scheider that got me through the door. And, and it just showed me what, what real work, what really hard work making art is. Yeah. It's, it's about, you know, for those of you who haven't seen the film, you know, it's about a, a Broadway director who's also making a feature film at the same time. And he's got heart problems and basically he's working himself to death. And, um, and it, it, it was something quite, there's something very cynical about it, about, about the industry, though I think quite realistic about the, the, the theatrical industry, particularly on Broadway. Um, and yeah, actually, I'm, I'm kind of talking about the, the superficial parts of it. Actually, the thing that really got me, and this is going to be a thread that goes on to the next selection in a yeah. bit. It's about somebody who is a bit of an outsider who basically is kind of getting his own back in a way. I mean, in, in, in the case of all that jazz, I think Fosse's kind of autobiographical element to that was, you know, his perfectionism and his obsessiveness and his, his, his inability to connect truly emotionally with people, particularly women, unless he, unless he was, you know, working. And, um, and of course, you know, in, in the film of all that jazz, it's intercut, it's very Fellini-esque, it's very much a Fellini-type film, but he's having a conversation with this woman throughout the film. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. keeps on cutting to her telling her his story and it's played by Jessica Lang and the character is called Angelique in the film though she's never called that but that's the name in the credits and of course she's the angel of death and so what he's doing throughout the whole film is he is having an intimate conversation with death about his life and about I've never thought getting, about it that way before you know, and and of course, the final moment of the entire film is the body bag being zipped up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Merman is singing. There's no business like show business. Um, so there was something about myself as a kid, and I'm I'm being quite on. I'm, I'm actually quite open open to being open about myself here. You know, as a kid, I felt very isolated. I felt very alone. I felt that I found it difficult to connect with people. 
Yeah. And, and so something in that film just identified with me, identified with it really strongly and almost to the point of that kind of death wish that the character has. Um, and so I found something really intimate and, and honest and truthful about that film. And in fact, I actually, when I, that film club that I, I helped program, I actually rented it for my, I think it was my 30th birthday. Mm. And we played all that jazz for my 30th birthday on 16 millimeter. Oh, um, lovely. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, and I think it's a film that, that I mean, A, the, the second half is just beyond brilliant, I think, where he's having all these fantasies whilst he's in, he's just had open heart surgery and he's coming in and out of consciousness. He's having all these, you know, old show tunes performed by all the women in his life. Um, you know, like his girlfriend and his ex-wife singing, you better change your ways. And then you've got his daughter singing, one of these days you're going to miss me, daddy. And I know, and it's like, it's uh, not, is Foss on record about any of this, like about about the personal nature he, of the material. I mean, you know, it's you know, it's so clearly based on him. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> As a Bob Fossey beard, oh, you know, he looks just like him. You know, what I wanted to add is that also the, the Roy Schneider as an actor was a, was a, a force of his own was a force of nature, wasn't he, for that, like, 10, 14-year period? Oh, yeah. I mean, you look at what he was in and, you know, know, that kind of CV's to die for, isn't it? You know, a few others, you know, but, yeah, just brilliant. Um, But this this is a very different type. But what's interesting about this role is he plays a lot of, there's a lot of machismo. I know there's still machismo in all that jazz, but it's a different, there's a vulnerability to to the character about yeah. being a man. Whereas you think of the other roles, I mean, I suppose you could argue there's a there's vulnerability in terms of what a man should do in, say, Jaws, which is obviously a blockbuster yeah. movie. Um, then you look at something like Sorcerer, where obviously it's man versus nature. and Yeah. And, Whereas in all that, pretty much like man versus his own... Yeah, his own existential crisis. <laughs> it is an existential crisis, absolutely. And... And also him being really honest about his his inability to connect with the women in his life more than like an inch deep. Which is know, the, in, the irony the irony being when you're performing, the idea is is to tap into honesty to give a convincing it, performance it, and then be the person directing it, but you you're in, unable to do it yourself. Exactly. <clears throat> it's that whole thing, isn't it? How we can always give advice, but we're rubbish at taking it. Exactly. It's that <laughs> That hiding behind a performance. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, um, let's move us forward then into your third choice, which is a which is a let's call it a hybrid third choice. Yeah, because you're giving me a double bill, which I'm figuring oh, yeah. because it was a double bill. So let's talk about this. And this is a, if this was this was a double bill. Yeah, am, am I right in thinking? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this yeah, double yeah, yeah. bill that that Pat got to experience and therefore impacted on everything is adult life is, I mean, is Midnight Express followed by Taxi Driver? Is that the, what you saw as Double yeah. Bill? Well, tell yeah, tell I mean, us more. It depended, it depended upon which cinema you saw it in. Okay. Some, some cinemas played Midnight Express first and then Taxi Driver 
Others played Taxi Driver first and then Midnight Express. It just depended where you were. Well, they're trying to get the miserableness balance right, with which, 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 are the, which are the least downer ending. And it actually played in the West End in, um, gosh, it's what is now the Swiss, the Swiss Centre on M&M World, you know, basically. Oh, goodness, now. yeah, 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 yeah. There was a little four-screen cinema just around the corner, just up Water Street, ever so slightly. Right. Um, and it was called Scene Leicester Square. And they had four screens. They were all like shoeboxes. Hmm. And Press and Taxi Driver, Double Bill, played there for over two years. Wow. Yeah, continuously. And Can you remember the price of a ticket? I can't, no. Not for, not, no, I can't. But I, and it was funny because I, I was still living in Cornwall, right? Oh, wow. And I remember. And I, but I'd actually seen both films separately previously. Yeah. When Taxi Drive came out, I mean, Taxi Drive is the one that I think had the most profound emotional impact on me. Mm. Uh, because when I went to see it, it, was, it wasn't its first release. I think it must have been about six, six to eight months after it came out. It was on a double bill with a Burt Reynolds film. Yeah. <laughs> um, but basically, you know, I went in and I went in because... I was like 13, going on 14. Jodie Foster was the same age as me, maybe about a few months older. And I had a massive crush on Jodie Foster at that age. Um, and so I went to see Taxi Driver because of Jodie Foster. And I can genuinely say that growing up in Cornwall, I had a fairly, not I wouldn't say it was particularly sheltered upbringing, but, you know, it was like Cornwall in the 60s, early 70s, you know. It's not downtown um, Manhattan, is it? No, it's not. And I came out of Taxi Driver, and it's like I'd been hit with the reality stick really, really hard. And it was like literally my whole perspective on the world changed in that two hours. Oh, my word. The world, the world was a darker place. Mm. The world was the only place. It was a more... Di- and for a fairly isolated and lonely kid, there was something about that that really like, connected with me. And anyway, um, obviously Midnight Express came out and I saw Midnight Express on its first release. Um, And again, it's like this idea of being in an environment where you're on your own and you've got to depend on yourself. And you might have some friends, but they're not going to be hugely reliable. And and, and so basically, I think this became a theme, a recurrent theme Mm. in 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 my growing up was that it was all about films that about people who felt isolated, alone, and, and you know, was I too young to see both of those films at that age? Probably, actually, because mm. the effect it had on me, I think, was actually quite profound in that I came out thinking that, you know, I, I, it wasn't necessarily depression, but it was certainly a kind of a negative viewpoint on humanity kind of came out. I imagine as a young person, it's, 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 it's sort of tinged with confusion because obviously you know what a real yeah. world is. And then suddenly this film shows you there's a, there's other real worlds. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and I remember, um, at the time, obviously this is pre VHS just about, um, and so the only way you'd see these films would be in the cinema. And I think this is something that came from my whole Towering Inferno and my childhood growing up, seeing a film two or three times in the same day. Yeah. I, I was quite obsessive. And I think that's also part of the fact I've, you know, had ADHD and a little bit neurodiverse probably. Um, but the, 
I would want to see the same thing again and again and again. Mm. And so I followed that Midnight Express and Taxi Driver double bill around Cornwall. So it would play in Lawson one week where I went to school. Next week, it might be playing in Bodmin. The week after that, it might be playing in Falmouth. The week after that, it might be playing in Newquay. Week after that, in Camborne. And literally, I would follow the film around and see it everywhere it was playing. Like a, like a, so, like a pop fan following a band. Exactly, exactly. Wow. And, and depending on where it was, like in, in Lanson, I, I saw that double bill three nights in a week. Yeah. Because it was on and I lived there. You know, and and so then when I went to London to visit friends and stuff, I would go and see it at the scene on Water Street as well. And I can genuinely say, I think in that year, or yeah, in the on. two years, I saw that double bill genuinely a minimum of 50 times over that two-year period. Jesus, that's amazing. In the so that taught me, I mean, are we, I don't know the, the alarm's just gone off, but talk me through... The, the, how old are you when you first go and see it in London? Well, when I saw Taxi Driver first, yeah, was Plymouth, and I was about thirteen, going on fourteen. Okay, but when you go and see it as a double bill in in the West End, how old were you? So tell me, can you remember that first going? Did you you travelled up to London from Cornwall on your own? Oh yeah, well I'd been doing that since the age of fourteen. Okay, so then uh, so my, this. Talk about parental neglect. <laughs> Dear mum, I loved her to bits, but she she let me do ridiculously outrageous things. Like a half-term holiday at school, she would literally let me um, get a train ticket to London at the age of like 14 yeah, and literally go up to London, go in a B&B for two or three nights near Paddington. But I wasn't like a typical teenager who would go off into Soho, into the flesh pots and, you know, or try and have that. I was, I was a movie person. I was a theatre mm. person. So literally my half-term holiday would be me coming to London um, on my own and seeing, I remember there was one particular day, I think I saw um, Greece, followed by Convoy, followed by The Crazies, followed by Eraserhead, followed by something else. I saw like five films in a day kind of thing. And then I'd also go to the theatre. So I saw the Romans in Britain at the National Theatre when I was like 14 or 15. And, and this was me coming up on my own to London. And so when I saw Midnight Express and Taxi Driver in London, I'd be coming to London. You were a years. veteran. You're a positive, yeah. absolute veteran. And, and talking about bizarre double bills, one time I came up I talked about Fosse. I'd wanted to see Cabaret. I'd never seen Cabaret. Okay. And it was playing in by Baker Street Station. There was a tiny little cinema there called the Times Center, two screen. And it would play Cabaret plus um, Straw Dogs. So this is you in your home in, in Cornwall looking at the listings going, it's playing at near yeah. Paddington Station, which obviously for Cornwall is quite convenient, isn't it, really? It's, it's a long yeah. journey, but actually it's quite convenient. Yeah. <laughs> Once you're in London, because that's where you end up, don't you? <laughs> exactly. But yeah, um, I, I, you know, the films I saw, and of course I don't go back to school and be talking about these films and the teachers, I mean, I, again, I'm going upon all sorts of tangents and sorry, taking up time. Please feel free to cut this out. No, yeah, I know. It's all, it's all good. I remember I came up, the time I came up and saw Greece in the cinema, hmm. uh, Empire Leicester Square when it first opened, 
in the Prince Charles, just around the corner, was Valerian Brotzik's The Beast, La Bette. Really? And I went round to see that straight after Greece. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny because I came back to I came back to Cornwall and I was talking to one of my drama teachers in Cornwall and I was talking about La Bette. And he misinterpreted me and he thought I was talking about Greece. And he was like, oh, yeah, he said, but I've heard they all look a bit old for their, they're supposed to be playing teenagers. I went, really? I don't remember that. That um, Oh, I've just got to seg you into the last bit. I've just got a perfect, yeah, uh, where basically you know, I, don't, I didn't remember, you know, the person and the beast with the massive horse cock um, basically uh, looking like a teenager, not looking like a teenager. <laughs> Or cut that if you wish, but basically, you know the um, yeah, that was a that was such a bizarre film. So I saw from the highest quality Euro art right the way through to that's what that's what's going to say. That's what that's what that's what I've learned from this conversation. Not that I didn't really know it from 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 you already, but your your willingness to watch all films as opposed to. You've decided because because a lot of people who who watch the kind of volume of films that you watch can tend to get a bit precious. Actually, you don't sound very precious at all. You you're quite happy to have a film is a film, and there obviously there are bigger emotional responses to some films. But yeah, there's always a pleasure for you in sitting in a cinema watching a film. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, there always is. And you know, I remember like when we were when we go and see stuff in Cannes, hmm. you and Marcus would be quite discussing it and I'd be just sitting there kind of going, oh, I thought it was all right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it, purely because, you know, I, you know, I, I think I've got that ability to kind of turn my, my critical response on and off. Yeah. Level. I must admit, I, cause I get, I, I cerebrally think, thinking about it cerebrally, if I do four or five films in a day, I'm exhausted. Yeah. Well, I am now, but back in the day, you know, yeah. I mean, that, that's why when I, you know, when I first met you, when I was coming up to Cannes, you know, I'd be seeing four or five, four or five films a day because that the whole point of me being there wasn't necessarily to try and connect with the industry. It was actually just to watch loads of really, really great films. No, indeed, no, no, absolutely. Now I should, and, I should add for those listening, Pat will see in Cannes probably more films than most people see in a year. Um, <laughs> but then that's just a taster for you in a year, isn't it? In a way. Yeah, but actually, you know, I as I'm getting older, I I, I find it more difficult to to kind of do that now. I I will go and see four or five films a day, but I'll probably have a nap during one or two. I think I think you deserve it. I think you deserve it. Um, <laughs> well, look, that's that's three films and a bit um, that have impacted everything in your adult life, and they were one. They had wonderful stories attached to them. So thank you very much for sharing that with us. Please remind us, how can people see Dalva? Yeah, and basically Dalva is going to be playing um, from Friday the 26th or 28th of April, whichever it is, that last Friday in April. And it's going to be a, a number of London venues, particularly the Q&A at the Institut Francais Cine Lumière. Mm-hmm. Friday, tickets are available now, actually. And then um, it's also going to be available at all the major regional film theatres over over the next week or two after that. Brilliant. And um, VOD two or three months later. Well, yeah. look, I'll put links in the show notes to your website so people can have a look as to where they can see it close to them um, or yeah. when they can see it near them. 
Um, but before you go, I just want you to uh, just preview something because you, you, you're going to uh, you've got other other plans for the summer, but they're a bit more way out west, shall we say, compared to uh, what we've just been discussing, um, and we've discussed a lot. So, do you want to do you want to just give us a quick sneak preview in, in your own words? How will you describe the old man movie? What are people going to see in June this year? Yeah. Yeah, so it opens theatrically properly on the 2nd of June. Mm. Uh, and it's going to be having a week of previews before that. Okay. Direct coming over. And I'll tell you, but basically, it's the basic premise is it's set in this Estonian village. It's stop motion animation. So it's very kind of Wallace and Gromity, mm-hmm. um, but slightly more bizarre. Um, and it's basically the idea is that this. Old man is the only milker in the village. He owns the only cow in the village, and he, it's a it's a role that has been going on for generations as being like one of the most important roles in this village. Um, and his grandchildren come to visit, and they don't like the way he treats the cow. They think he's not treating it very well, so they want they put it out in the field to let it go and kind of enjoy eating some grass. And of course, it it runs away. The problem being that if a cow isn't milked within 24 hours, it will explode with thermonuclear force oh. because of the pressure of the milk in its udders. Of course. And so they basically have 24 hours to find and save the cow. However, there was a milker in the 1950s in the village who actually had a cow explode in his face. And he now wants all cows to die. So basically, he will then be pursuing the cow with his own agenda and his gang of chainsaw-wielding lumberjacks to, uh, to, to get the cow first. Well, look, if that doesn't whet the appetite, dear listener, I don't know what will. Do you, do you want to give us a few, a few pull quotes that you're going to be using on the poster to, that, that, that sort of sum up this movie? Yeah, one of them is... Um, it's like Wallace and Gromit on heavy blotter acid and mushrooms. Superb. Uh, another one calls it utterly deranged. Another one says batshit crazy. No, batshit insanity. So I've got to be precise. Batshit insanity. And then the other one, it's something like, it's like Fritz the cat meets Sean the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my favorite one is. Um, it's the best milk-based apocalyptic movie ever made. Well, look, I'm, I'm going to get the filmmakers on the podcast to discuss the film in more detail, but it just gives me to say thank you very much for giving time on the Britflix podcast. Thank you so much, Stuart. It's, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you, mate.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. You did something for the first. 